Hi, everyone, and welcome back to RPG R&D. I am one of your hosts, Jess Geyer. I'm one half of Wannabe Games, and I design tabletop role-playing games. And I'm here with my co-host, Craig Campbell. Hi, Craig. Hi, Jess. I'm Craig, and uh, I am the owner of Nerdburger Games and also design tabletop role-playing games. And we are here, as always, with a guest coming back, Sebastian. Hi, Sebastian. Hello. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Thank you for swinging on by yeah thanks for coming back uh tell our audience a little bit about you uh i am a full-time ttrpg designer and writer Uh, i also do editing and i also do performing yeah excellent today we have two great topics craig what are we talking about first for our gm side well this is kind of an interesting topic in that we, we kind of covered something that's related to this which has to do with like handouts and things like you know, the actual physical paper bits and like other things, props and things that you might hand out. But this is a little bit broader and kind of covers some other areas. Um, we're going to talk a little bit about sharing campaign info um, with the players, like how you get the info out to them, emails in game, like in person, if that's what if, that, if that's what your game is or via you know Zoom or something like that. Um, gimmicks that you might utilize that kind of help to spice that up a little bit, because sometimes just like an info dump onto a player can be a little a little boring or a little daunting depending on uh, like the nature of what it is you're trying to communicate and so I thought we could talk about all that sort of stuff yeah I I am a fan of forums personally I love using forums to send out information to my players uh, I've had a really good success with obsidian portal I don't know if this is I don't know how I found it in the first place. But it's kind of like a wiki page that you can make for your campaign and you can add journals and you can add character information, you can add images and you can make things private. There's a lot of stuff you can do with it. And uh, my only problem is actually remembering to update it with my my stuff afterward. It's been around for a while. So they've built a lot into it. It's yeah, it's. I can't, I can't even think of the last time I, you know, the first time I heard of it was had to be like well over 10 years ago, maybe 15 years ago. It's one of those things that's just grown and grown. Yeah, and I've been using it for quite some time now, like several, several years. Yeah, I have actually never used a forum. So, um, but I, but it sounds really, it sounds like it's useful. It sounds like you can upload various different um, forms of media, which is cool. Um, in my games, uh, we tend to make use of Discord because that is where we meet and we have the audio and such like. So we already have um, that kind of infrastructure. So I've been in campaigns where each player has had their own individual channel and can uh, send things to the DM and the DM can send things to that player specifically. And um, if it's a well-organized server, then you know you can make use of pin posts and, uh, and such like. And also two of my campaigns that I'm in, we record our sessions. And so we store those in Google Drive. And so if players need to go back and refer to things or want to make notes after the fact, then that's available. Yeah, I, I love the idea of using a Discord server itself. But yeah, in Obsidian Portal, I can have my players add stuff to it, but there's not that, like the Discord chat function where you can kind of do that more synchronous chatting. And you said that you do channels for like, each character sometimes do you do a mix of in person like in character and out of character stuff or is it purely out of character 
it's usually out of character because it's more just for um, the DM to communicate with the players um, individually. So like it's things like uh, if the player wants to send character backstories or information about NPCs that are related to the character. Um, but it's nice to have everything in one place. Yeah. So you're not going to hunt it down. <laughs> yeah. Um, because I mean, people use all sorts of different messaging tools, but I really like the the Discord structure. And I know you mentioned the kind of collaborative nature. So people tend to write up their backstories using Google Docs and will kind of leave comments in the side and be like, oh, I, this is, uh, I'm clarifying, maybe use this as a plot hook or something. And then the DM can respond and, um, and you can share those with whomever you like. It also sounds like it's a great spot for people because if you're doing your, if you're doing this online, which I'm assuming, like you said, that you record on there too, if you're going to this space anyway to communicate with your like actually have your game then they're not only just like having it all in one spot but there's a designated time where they can check in on it and it's like kind of in their face that's great for players like me and gms like me like i forget if if it exists somewhere and i close my eyes and i turn around three times i forget that it's there having like knowing that it's going to be there in the discord and then making it be in my face before the recording that's that's a really good way to handle that right yeah and I think it does require a bit of um, commitment both on the dm and on the player side if people need to kind of be consistent about which channel they post Mm -hmm. what to and um making sure that all of their links are up to date and such like but I actually don't think that it's necessarily a lot of work and it does have that kind of centralized aspect to it and you can share it with um whoever you like in the campaign so I'm a fan of that yeah. I mean, it's going to be a little bit of work anyway. It, if you decide that you want to have a place where you're sharing campaign information like this, it it's more work than just taking notes in a notebook and then, I don't know, maybe reading them out yeah, loud. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> like, yeah. It's going to be more work. And Discord has the benefit too of, um, you can go digging around a little bit. There are bots for like their game bots, uh, scheduling game bots, just general scheduling bots that you can put into place where like if you if you yourself are not terribly organized or if you have players that like it would be good to to ping them with a regularly scheduled like if your game is on a particular day like the day before you make sure you 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 ping them in discord that like hey there's new information or check to see if there's new information put the onus on them to to see if you uploaded anything additional into whatever channel um you can set those sorts of things up too and have again and then it's all in one place yeah definitely it helps to manage the notifications I think the one thing that Discord can't do that I like about the forum posting, though, is the more long form, like actually type it right in there, kind of. Like, yeah, because of host because of the character limit. Yeah, that mm-hmm. is uh, that is definitely a a barrier. So I understand if you're if you prefer to have it in Discord itself. Right, but but you said you kind of go around that with the Google Docs links. Yeah, and, and having, having everything in a shared drive. drive is really nice too. Yeah, put it in Google Docs links, or if it's something that you want people to be able to print out and bring, you can just give them, you know, the PDF. Like if you put something together, just PDF it from whatever word processor you're using and put, you know, just put that up there, just drag it in, drop it, boom, that you now they've got a thing they can open it and look at it on the screen. It might be, you know, if it's more text than what the character limit is for Discord posts. Um, it's also something they can, they can download it off into their phone and have it with them. They can print it out if they're old school. You know, there's a lot of versatility to that. What if your campaign is not online, though? Do you think that it would still be as useful of a tool? Or are there other tools that would be more useful if you have an in-person campaign? 
but you still need to share this information somewhere. Yeah, absolutely. I think what I would do is that I love in-person campaigns. I love having something to like something physical to hold. Like if someone is like, oh, you received an invitation to this party and like they hand me a piece of paper. I'm like, oh, that's so exciting. So I think what (laughs) I would do in that instance would be I would give it to the player physically, but also kind of upload a copy for reference in the Discord. I do think that there's merit to having both. Like, I mean, people, I don't know, someone might just fold it up and lose it or something if they have it physically. So I think that um, it wouldn't necessarily be too difficult because I, I mean, if you're handwriting all of that, then, you know, I respect, but I probably (laughs) wouldn't be doing that. So it would probably be a Word document with some kind of handwriting-esque font on it. And um, I would have that um, somewhere in the Discord, depending on which channel it belonged in. I'd probably do both. That's what my, I had a GM that was a super great GM. I was in this campaign for several years and we used a forum to keep everything together. But because all of the the handouts, he needed a lot of handouts because all the handouts were already generated on a computer. He just uploaded that to the forum and printed them off. So we had we did have both references. I still have a notebook, like a folder full of all the handouts because it is so fun to have them. We look at them like, oh, yeah, this is the note the bad guy sent me ransoming my best friend. Awesome. But also being able to because people lose things. Folders get dropped into puddles. Uh, players aren't <laughs> able to make it to a game. So I, I really like we're so lucky to 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 have the internet and these shareable oh, tools yeah. available to us. Yeah, what a time to be alive, honestly. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm and honestly, I'm one of those players who can't really take notes in the moment because it takes me out of the story. And so if I'm writing down what just happened, I've missed the thing that was happening while I was writing down the note. And uh, that's not great. So I do prefer to take notes after the fact. So and having uh, so the recording. Yes, uh, the recording is really good. Yeah. It's also really good for people who haven't, like they weren't able to attend the session. Yeah. There were several times because th- th- we also uploaded all of our recordings and they were like five, six hour sessions. We were very intense about it. Uh, and then if I missed a day and I look at the notes, I'm like, oh, there's some really juicy stuff in here. Maybe I'm going to pop on this recording and just be able to listen to it. And, and that way, when I come in the next time, after missing, I don't have to have so much out of character recap. I can kind of just pop in in character and keep the game moving too. So sharing yeah, information that way. Yeah. And it helps that uh, in, the, in the two campaigns that are recording, I'm also in charge of that. So I <sighs> kind of download the audio and I get to edit it. So I do get to re-listen to it as I'm doing that. Oh, you and edit so, it? Yes, I do. I mean, it's not it's not too intensive. It's not like the best audio quality ever because my focus is on like, can you hear what is being said? But it sometimes because we take a break in the middle because it can be quite a long session. So I need to put those two parts together. And sometimes uh, if one player is a lot louder than another player, I want to kind of adjust the volume to make it easier to listen to. Yeah, that's that's some dedication. We just yeah, I mean, use it's raw not, it's not a audio. Podcast or any, no, right. it's not a podcast or anything. It's just for for our reference. And uh, even if your if your group is a little is like mostly analog and isn't doing quite so much, there are versions of everything I think we've talked about that you can do. Like you want to record it, like you can get a recording app on your phone and put your phone in the middle of the room. Maybe maybe not for every session, but maybe you know, like you might find it useful to be like, okay, the everybody's the 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 players are getting in character and they're going to plan some heist thing that's going to take you know, two sessions to play out. You want to make sure you have a good notes of like what they were planning to do, what kind of wheels they set in motion. And, you know, so that you can prepare for that, especially if it's going to, what they're doing is going to span into the next episode or two mm-hmm. uh, up for yeah. a few sessions. 
Um, you can throw that out there. Just let everybody know. Um, you know, you can, the, the, the old school email chain of just the, you know, reply all email kind of thing, or even a text um, group text. If depending on the group, if you've got players that don't really know each other too well, you know, double check with them to make sure that they're comfortable giving email addresses to people that maybe don't know that well, or, or phone numbers that they, you know, to people that they don't know that well. Um, but it's an option if everybody's okay with that. And, you know, like the, just a, a group text thing can do the same thing that like a discord channel can do as far as just like little bits of information that need to pass back and forth over the, you know, in, yeah, in the week leading up to a game, just to remind people about this or that, or you can provide links to, like something like you could, you could Sebastian super online, all this cool stuff, right? You could, if you had players that were like, that's not my bag, <laughs> you, could still, <laughs> you could still make all that stuff available. You could put stuff online and do sort of yeah, documents and, and throw links into just like, here's a tax boom. Here's a link. Yeah. You can look at this thing. Yeah. I mean, I just, I'm extremely logged on. So if people aren't like that, then like, that's okay. But I like to <laughs> kind of keep things in one place and I like to have kind of multiple avenues of access in, in the sense that like, I like to keep notes and I also do like to have the recording available because I personally find it easier to process information when it's written down and I can read it. But mm. some people are more um, like they process information better when they can hear it. So it's a good idea to have kind of a mix, but I do like the kind of centrality of it all. And uh, all of the players are in the Discord server and that kind of was a requirement to join and everyone was okay with that. I I like the, the tips here. So far, like number one, ease of use and is it accessible to everybody? Because if, if people can't access it and they can't use it, it's useless. Uh, and then number two, like those multiple pathways of information sharing I think is, is so important. We do it in, in schools all the time. We want to have all these different ways to reach out to students so they can learn. And we share campaign information so our players can learn and retain information too. So why not differentiate, so to speak? That's, that's a really good point. Yeah, thank you. And uh, here's a question. What sort of information do uh, you all, do I, like do, do we all relegate to these types of you know, sharing campaign, share campaign info sharing beforehand. So that like the, the point I think probably for most people is like, get that out of the way, de deal, deal with it, like in little dribs and drabs here and there so that you can, when you do get together to game, you don't have to spend a half an hour, like getting everybody right. caught up on something. You can yeah. jump into the game. Um, so what sort of stuff is, is probably good to, right. to share in those. I think, uh, I think for me, there's, three that, can I, that I can think of off the top of my head. Uh, first is safety tools. So if you are using something like Lions and Veils, then um, that's a good thing to, to share instantly. And that can be a living document if you have it in a spreadsheet or something, for instance. Um, kind of having that available and pinned would be, would be a good thing to have before the game. Also, uh, general law about the setting. So if you're kind of setting up a game, uh, like a campaign, then, you know, if, if the DM has kind of written out like a brief... Uh, outline of locations and you can decide where your character is from and share the map of the universe, that's a good thing to share as well. And this has been a fairly recent uh, development for one of my groups, but we have a campaign timeline now, and it's to keep track of how long we've spent in a particular place in, in universe. So then, uh, because it can be some time between sessions, and so it feels like it's been longer than it has in the 
uh, in the game. And we want to kind of make sure that our characters' actions are consistent with that. So like if I had an argument with another character and I'm and I'm like, oh, that happened ages ago, I'm over it. It's like, actually, no, that was yesterday. So um, I'm not over <laughs> it, in fact. And uh, that's just something that um, people can edit. And uh, I generally am responsible for that because I just will write notes as I'm editing the session. But, um, you know, all of those things are really useful. I also like to put up information like for key NPCs, especially if there is a lot of downtime between games. It's a person that you would remember and you would recognize, but you as a person, it's been a month or so. You don't remember what this person's name is. You don't remember what their face is. And uh, I think that's, uh, I, I do pictures and I do just some key details and maybe some of the things that you did on your encounters there is one campaign I've done where I was even more detailed and I said, here is the adventure that you did this on. And here's the adventure, like the, the session number, essentially, that this person appeared in so they oh, can yeah. start making those. But the campaign timeline, that is. Yeah, I mean, and the campaign timeline had, does have a column for significant mm-hmm. NPCs that we met and it does go. have a column for which session it was. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I love that. Do you use something specific to keep that organized or did you just like make up a template? Uh, we just made it in Google Sheets. There so that's just something you can do. You can kind of um, adjust the, you can you can have columns and adjust the cell size and merge things and all sorts. And, and lots of people can, can edit it. Yeah. Um, yeah. People can do that. I mean, also people can leave comments in Google Sheets. So, and we have a kind of running um, automated calculator at the bottom of how many days it's been that we've been doing adventuring. I like that. Yeah. So, I mean, we figured out that like it was the anniversary of the party first meeting. And so we all like went out to a tavern to celebrate that. So that was fun. (laughs) Oh my gosh. That's something I would not like, it would not be on my radar unless I had a a time, like a, I love that. That's so cool. Celebrating anniversaries. (laughs) It also means that like you can put your character's birthday in if you want to and things like that. It's, I find myself thinking like if I, in campaigns that I've played that were long, like, you know, many months or even more over a year long campaigns and everything. And, and thinking back to like how much time they actually took in game. It's like, cause after you've, if you've been playing a campaign for a year and a half, it's entirely possible that your campaign has progressed a month in the, in the game world. Cause that happens, you know, it's right. like watching when you watch, watch lost, you watch a show for six seasons and everything takes place. You know, the, like the first several seasons takes place over the course of like less than 50 days. So yeah, keeping track of that is actually useful. And I like the idea of like, you don't have to define what your birthday is. You can just decide your character's birthday. You can just decide like, we haven't had a celebration in a while. Yeah, you can do that. And I'm then- going gonna, gonna to say my character's birthday is now or my character, you know, like this is the, gra- the, the anniversary of them graduating from the wizard school or, you know, whatever landmark or, or uh, milestone they, uh, they celebrate. <laughs> I, th- I thought too, uh, this is a, a little bit in conjunction with something we just talked about uh, on the last episode, which is like what books and what parts of books and things are going to be used. If you've got a game, like let's say you're playing and you're going to be playing in the forgotten realms and okay, well, we're going to set this campaign in the Dale lands and like you can dispense information about the Dale lands that way. Um, But the characters haven't traveled out of the Dale lands. They don't necessarily know much about the other parts of the world, but the players it's useful for the players to kind of have some information, but they don't have to know the whole world to start with. But if you're going to like, okay, well now you can, as the GM, you could say, okay, well, Sometime in the not too distant future, not sure when, <laughs> we're going to go to Cormier. And, you know, now it's important for you to start learning, like, you know, figure out, like, know a little bit about Cormier and know a little bit, like, what does your character know about Cormier? Do they know what a purple dragon is? You know, like all of this stuff. I like and that you can, too. You can kind of 
dispense that and tell like, you know, from this page to this page in this book, if you have access to it. And if you don't, then you can just learn it at the game or, you know, whatever. Yeah. I mean, I like that because then you can have characters from different locations and um, instead of kind of like getting everybody to make a history check, um, you can you can say, well, this character's from here and then like let the player explain what they know in character. It's more immersive than the DM being like, well, you know this. And then the player is just like, oh, I say that, you know. Oh, and that could be like one of those like the birthday thing. Like I could we could be playing the game and we, you say we're going to go to Cormier and I'm like, all right, well, it would be useful to for the, for the group to know a little something about Cormier. Hey, Sebastian, is it all right if my character is actually originally from Cormier? There's nothing in our history that says they aren't. Yep. And, that's and, the you, thing you, can and, do. and you might say, yeah, that's perfect. That gives us an yeah. in and you'll know some people. And blah, Yeah, blah, definitely. Blah. And uh, since we're playing, um, since we are playing online, these, well, I mean, I'm playing online these days. Um, if you're using a platform like Roll20 or if you're doing it over Zoom, you can kind of chat with the player in real time and message something only to them. You can whisper it or have it as a private message and be like, okay, we've just decided you're from Cormier. Cool, I can do that. Here is the things that you know bullet pointed. And that's the thing you can do in real time. And I mean, even if you are playing in person, you can just send them a message and be like, okay, I'm going to text you. It's yeah. I love that. I love the ability to send secret messages to players when I'm playing (laughs) online like that. It's my favorite thing to do. Like, oh, this person in particular, here's some mysterious whispering or like, here's some background information for you. I have a new NPC. Hey, hey, this is the character that you put in your backstory. Like all these little things you can do without anyone else noticing. Yeah, Although there, there is something to be said about physically reaching over the table and handing a player a note. And only for them and everyone else gets to see that there's, there's something for that, but in some cases having no one else know that they're being fed, this information can be, can be really fun. Yeah. I I think it's just up to kind of how you'll get like where your game is taking place and what kind of tools you have available. I mean, I do love being handed a note as as I said before. So it just depends on um, what you're able to do. And you can take it into like the gimmicky realm as well. I did this a little bit when I was um, running some, Murders and acquisitions. When I, after you know, designing the first my first game, game is set in the modern day. It's set in an office. You know the characters are office workers, so they all have email. One would assume, and so I created a fake email account on like some other email service that I never would normally use, and uh, created it for like here's the email account for the HR person, and they and the HR person sent emails to, and I used that to disseminate information about the company and about what was coming up and what was going on. And then at one point I even did a thing and it, it's, sometimes it was group and everybody would know it was group because I would send it to everybody and you could see it was everybody's email address. And sometimes they would, somebody would just get an email directed to them. And then one time I even pulled the, a little stinker move of, I sent an email to somebody with some information that was useful that one, that one other character was going to get. And then five minutes later, I shot another email at the, 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 them that says, this email was not intended for you. Please disregard all. I like that. And that, make, that makes them want to read it. And then they have to pretend they don't know about it. Yeah. <laughs> and the player like totally wants to read it and like, okay, well, what's true about this? What's not? Were they lying? Was, is this a manipulation? Because in the game, in, in Murders and Acquisitions, HR is, they're like puppet masters. They like just, they play games with the, with the employees. And so, that's thematic. Yeah. It was, and it was thematic appropriate. And it was a way to send information out in a fun kind of out of the ordinary way. I've, I've done something similar before when I ran a mon- uh, Monster of the Week campaign and it was set in an alternate Lansing, Michigan and everything, all the monsters were based on Michigan folklore. And because it was present day, more or less, of course, my play, my characters would have had access to the internet. So every once in a while, I'd be like, okay, well, 
you've learned about this and you're taking a bit of a research break, see what you can find online in the next 10 minutes. I'm going to go get some coffee and I would leave them to do their own research based on what they have online. Now, is all this stuff that they learn online for these different pieces of folklore going to be relevant for what I'm doing in the game? Maybe not. But then they can have a little bit of that background information that they are in character researching at that moment. There's, it's just a, a, a way to share some information without me having to do a lot of work and, and making handouts and things. I, I made them do the, the legwork since it's an investigative game. Yeah, and that can be really cool too. I I, I like that. Um, you can kind of it feels immersive, and they can actually like recreate the experience of their characters looking things up and trying to find find more information. Mm-hmm. I did that with a modern day game once with with Celtic runes. I and I knew that the other players were like Celtic people, Celtic enthusiasts, and there was a thing that had Celtic runes on it. And then I said, okay, you know, like they said, well, we're going to try to research these runes. I said, okay, they're all online. Go. And just let them like literally everybody just bury their face in the phone for five minutes. And they're like, I'm on, I'm on this website. I'm on this website. I think I found the right one. Like these runes look the right way, blah, blah, blah. And they deciphered what the rune said or what it meant. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's more of a like in the realm of handout. There wasn't information. It was a clue in, within the game. But yeah, like take advantage just in general, take advantage of the game, the theme of the game, the gimmicks that you might be able to attach yeah, to the game, especially, definitely. especially with modern day games mm-hmm. or, or near future games where the technology that we have right now is something that would happen, would exist in game. You can always play around with that. You could even do that with Discord. You could have a separate account logged in on your phone <laughs> yeah. and, and oh, someone, someone. Yeah, because you can switch weird... accounts now. So that's yeah. the thing they can do. It's a feature. Like have, have an NPC start posting weird messages. And uh, I mean, I think that maybe you should warn your... <laughs> Yeah, I mean, that's definitely something that you would talk about because uh, honestly, like my campaigns tend to use the Discord for out of character planning. We do have like an in character channel. So like that's but that usually is um, when two players or whoever have have arranged a time to do some role playing and they're doing it for for that reason. So, yeah, I mean, that's definitely just something that you would establish ahead of time, I think. Yeah, so you don't like... (laughs) Like <laughs> they're all, everybody's like, so server. is this, so is this real? What's going on? I mean, I'm confused. I, no, I'm, it's, uh, it's very yeah. easy to tell. I mean, we also have a, like a hashtag kind of memes channel. So then we can just post memes that we find on the internet that are relevant <laughs> to the campaign. And we can also make our own memes and post that. So it's very much an out of character thing. I bet that builds a bit of like community too, with the, like being able to share memes about your campaign or like artwork and, and things like yeah, that. We have a character art channel. So that as well, it's nice. It's that's one of those things too that gets people coming back to a campaign instead of like dropping off and the campaign fizzling out because they'll have that buy-in. They'll have the oh, I've been creating not just the stuff we're doing at the table, quote unquote table, but also this out of character chat that we do and my memes and our in character chat when we're not playing. I, I I think that that's a that kind of sharing of information can be a great way to retain your player interest. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, I've just found that people do like to use those channels because, um, I mean, some of some of us do art of our characters and some of us kind of make memes of our own thing. And, you know, it's just it's fun. Yeah, I, I do that often. I did that very recently with uh, the Code Warriors playtest that I'm doing with Craig. <laughs> I made, made a little image, shared it in our discord. Uh, although we just have a we just have a chat. Uh, we don't have a whole yeah, it's, 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 it's a, sorry, 
Sebastian, you have you have set the bar high. Yeah, I mean, I, <laughs> I, I don't suddenly, like I am suddenly going to have to ramp up my Discord game. Yeah, I don't know. I don't like group chats because it's difficult to keep track of topics. Whereas if you have, can organize it into channels and threads within the channels, then like that is that really helps me. Right. Because I, I also don't really want to kind of log off for a day and then come back to like 400 messages and have to pass out people having three different conversations at once. So right. yeah. Well, I'm using, and, and this is, you know, to keep in mind listeners too, like I'm, I'm using, Sebastian has a whole different approach. I'm using this as like the, the channel is a way for me to remind people to advance their characters, um, to remind people that the game time, if there's a cancellation, people can let us know in there, you know, there's, there's, yeah. it's just, it's just basic communication. We don't get too deep into all the other stuff because the, the conversation, because it's a play test, the conversation actually takes place with the group at the end of the session where we have a whole little talk. Or, yeah, for or, sure. It very much just depends on the nature of the game and, and, yeah. what, you, and what you need and what your players are, want to do. Yeah, yeah. Find, find the... Find what find, works. Yeah, yeah. The, comp the components that do the job for you. So that was... All right, that's it. Problem solved, right? Like, everybody's yes. ready to go. Actually, I, like, I feel like this is one of those times where we had a lot of concrete information to give our listeners... <laughs> Sometimes we're very nebulous and like, here's some strategies. Kind sort of, of kind yeah. of. I mean, this is kind of a strategy. It's like, if you are really into kind of information and organizing, then this is good. And But like, if you're more casual and you don't really do so much out of character planning, then like maybe a group chat is sufficient. Like it just depends. Yeah. I mean, I just happen to really like organization and that kind of thing. Like. Oh yeah. I think a lot of people like having it at their fingertips and not, you know, feeling like they're out of the loop i think that that's very common nowadays and with younger generations like having the the access to the information yeah definitely well speaking of access to information how do we get access to our information about our games when we are designing a game and our second topic is press kits for game designers press kit what's a press kit don't know i've never done one before <laughs> okay um well fun fact i have a master of journalism degree so uh that's my background um so uh i can talk a bit about press kits yes please do that i mean you are the expert in this room if you have a master yeah, i mean having journalism. been on the receiving end of very many of them for various different um reasons uh press kit is basically kind of a package that you would send to a member of the press in the hopes that they will uh, run a story about your game if you are a game designer so it will include like in my opinion the goal for a designer is to make it as easy as possible for the person receiving the press kit to run uh to run the story so it means things like sending them uh visuals so like maybe a photo of like a spread of your game if you're particularly proud of the layout or some of the art that you have that's featured and maybe the cover that features like the logo um and it also has your own kind of like personal brand logo on it if you have and uh, if you suggest captions for those as well, then that's just as, as much as you possibly can do to make it easy for them to do it. So, and then you'll include kind of a brief about like what the game is, um, what it includes. So like, you know, is it a 24 page booklet or does it come with a deck of 52 cards or um, how many players is it designed for and how long does it take to play? Like that kind of thing. You can kind of list that in bullet points, but um, you know, you want the basic information of the game and also like the, the unique kind of selling points. Like why should like, you know, why is this newsworthy? What's unique about your game? Like the, if you're sending it to a kind of game outlet, they probably receive like a bunch of press kits. So like, you know, you kind of need to make your stand out. And a thing that most people don't usually do is write like an actual news story 
along with it. So it's something like, you know, like a news release. I mean, you see them all the time from official, um, I don't know, just public, like governments issue them all the time. So it doesn't have to be necessarily so kind of framed as hard news, but it can be something like, you know, like today, today, this person released this thing and in an ideal, like from a designer perspective, in an ideal world, they would just reproduce the press release word for word because that is all the marketing material that you have written yourself. However, if you are a serious journalist, you will probably read that and follow up with with them uh, for interview and um, get comment on the things that are interesting in the press release and kind of build the story from there. So the press release should have like that kind of news story, include a couple of quotes from yourself, as well as your contact details and the contact details of anyone else that the journalist would want to um, to follow up with. Yeah, I, I did journalism in college and then I taught journalism at the high school level for a while. And I think that one of the, the hardest things about student journalism especially is being able to find stories to run depending on how often you're running your newspaper or magazine or whatever it is and I loved when I received I didn't use them I didn't use everyone I got but I loved when I received press releases and press kits because if it was a good one if it was interesting there there's a story idea I can pitch right there and then like you said with the press releases themselves if it's written in that new style now I have some things that I can quote from and specific things I can follow up on especially the quotes for like you already have these quotes from people that you can use they're sending it to you and pictures to every online especially You and can't run an eyeline story yeah, without a visual. Things like, I mean, and also, you know, they can use it for shareables on social. And if you're sending a picture, then these days it's good to include an image description. So then they can copy and paste it and have alt text on Twitter or on Instagram or on Facebook or wherever it is it's going. Like, do as much as possible to make it as easy as possible for the journalist to run a story on your thing. And I know it seems like a lot of work, but it's worth it if you can get that across. Well, once once you get it all kind of together... And you're and you're looking at sending the kit to like a, a number of journalism outlets or people who cover RPGs. Like you're you're doing the work, generally speaking, upfront one time, and then you can kind of get it to a bunch of different people that way. So think about like the you know the breadth of reach that you can get out of it. And I think it's worth noting that like when when, when people think about press kit, we were talking about you know, Sebastian mentioning journalism and he's thinking about newspapers and magazines and stuff. This 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 sort of thing goes for online stuff too, especially with RPGs. Cause like, you know, a lot of the news comes out via online stuff. So like I've sent press kits or things like this and other people have as well to Dicebreaker and Ionine and Gizmodo and, and to specific writers who cover those things. Like yeah, if, you, if you get to know those, those particular writers and follow them on Twitter. Um, you know, I recently like, literally responded to a writer who writes for Ionine and Gizmodo on TTRPGs, indie stuff in, in particular, and just started a little conversation and said, like, expect, you know, some information about Code Warriors from me later. And they were like, that's great. Send me what you got when you got it. And so, uh, you know, it, it's it's not, you're not, I mean, I, I personally don't know that I would ever send it to like an actual honest to goodness newspaper or a, I mean, like a print magazine. It, I mean, not, not at my scale, you know, but, you know, it, you know, at the same time, you could, you could give it, you can give it a shot. <laughs> I mean, I think it's worth it if you can um, like pitch it to them properly. Because if, I mean, it's it's obvious like why you would want to send it to a, a like an outlet that covers gaming and um, like your um, area of RPGs specifically. But if you can think of a good reason uh, to pitch it to an outlet that's a bit more broad in scope or has a different focus, 
then you absolutely can. And like, it's something that you can pitch to like, I mean, an arts and culture section, depending on what your game is, or like a lifestyle section, depending on what your game is. Um, if you can find the right place for it, then I don't see any reason to not send it because you've already done all the work. And the worst thing that can happen is that it just goes to their inbox and they ignore it and don't run a story on it. And, you know, that's fine. Uh, you could you could send it to your hometown newspaper like, hey, I grew up here. Here's <laughs> yeah, what exactly. I'm doing. That, yeah, that's also a thing you can do. And if you send it to somebody that's a little out of the, you know, isn't necessarily covering RPGs specifically or your yeah. type of game or whatever you know, there's, you can do a little adjustment of the pitch and kind of Absolutely. give a little setup. Like if you're, if you're making a role-playing game that's intended to be really super light and easy to play, and it's going to be good for kids and families, um, you could also send that press kit to people who review um, children's games. And they, they might be used to dealing with like, okay, it's mostly like board games and real simple dice games and maybe very, very simple card games and things like that, that families can play together with younger children. But you, you know, you might have to give, you know, don't don't get like overbearing about it, but you might have to kind of give a little brief idea of like, oh, this is a role playing game and the kid, you know, the players will do this and make sure you you know describe it in such a way that it's clear that, you know, small, young children would have an easier time dealing with it and just kind of, you know, set yourself up and then tell them a little bit more about what makes the game wonderful. Yeah, definitely. And it can be something as short as, you know, um, I I noticed that you do X thing and I think that my game would be a good fit or, you know, this or this story would be a good fit, something like that. It doesn't have to be very involved or very long. You know, I think a great setup to sending to like, you know, a kid's game, find the hook. Like if you're sending an RPG to uh, somebody who reviews kids game, start it off with children play pretend all the time. And this is a game about playing pretend. And that like that immediately gets them into the mindset of like, oh, this is a game where the, where the kids are going to pretend to be someone or something in this story. And you can sell that across the board um because little kids you know for example do that sort of thing anyway like you <laughs> like if they're playing Candyland, they might take on the persona of a character as they're playing the game i would say too to keep in mind like the timeline if you're expecting some good media some good coverage for your game and you're sending it out only a week ahead of time or even the day of it takes a lot of time for like depending on the the journalist and who they work for if they're a freelancer they're probably pitching this to different publications and it takes some time for the go ahead then they have to write or they maybe wrote ahead of time but maybe they didn't because they're not going to do labor if they don't know they're going to get paid for it then they have to edit it then that, that has to get approved like there are steps in between so the more time you can give it the better and also, again, like, don't expect that anything comes out of it. It's yeah, absolutely. That's a really good point. And uh, I find I find that it's easier to um, start like do things that align with your own timeline in terms of reviewers because a lot of them will kind of do sponsored things. And so, if you have the budget for that, then you can be like, oh, like, can you move me to the top of the queue and my game releases this day? So, and then you can coordinate that. But also, sometimes it's nice to have uh, coverage after the fact, and it could be like kind of extends your marketing campaign, I suppose. So you could be like, oh, I was featured in this thing and my game came out, you know, way back when. So, you know, kind of renew a spike of interest. But yeah, being mindful of the timeline is definitely a thing that people should be aware of because there are, as you said, many, many steps. Yeah. And even if it's just like to the steps to getting a story made, like if you're sending the press kit to somebody who might also actually do a preview review, like they're going to, like you can offer to send them a draft of the manuscript or like yep. a partially completed game or something like that. And that extends the, the 
time as well. Like, you know, if you want to, they they not only need, they need to receive it, figure out whether or not they want to go and do something with it, kind of get an angle on it. And then they're like, oh, and I'm going to read this thing. Maybe let's like, let's take a look at it. Send it to me with enough time for me to be able to read enough of the game to be able to do a preview, blah, 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 all those. So that that can add time on too. If you can, um, something I've actually done for Code Warriors is reach out to the people who might be interested in sort of that thing and find out what the lead time is that they need and hit that lead time. They know how long it's going to take them to, to, to cycle through that. If they, you know, if, if now, admittedly, these are all people that I've kind of formed relationships with. So it's not you know, like you may, you, it might be hard to get a cold, you know, to get a response to a cold email asking that sort of a question, but, but you might like, you know, it depends on the person um, that you're contacting. Some people are very like, oh yeah, I'll tell you exactly what it's going to take. Like, you know, you send it to me, send it to me. It's going to take me three weeks. Like I need it three weeks in advance minimum. They'll, they might tell you that. Um, and then you've got a target and you make your little schedule and like, okay, this press kit goes off on this day and this press kit goes off on that day. And I'm giving everybody the time you're, you're maximizing your chances that the press kit is actually going to do what you want it to do. Yeah. And I do know that some designers have made their press kits available on the games it like itch page or wherever it is they're selling their game. So if someone kind of happens to stumble across it, then they can also take a look at the press kit. Yeah. Or putting it on their Kickstarter page down, like, so yeah, just, just hit like a button, like download the press kit here kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So yep. it doesn't necessarily like, um, there can be multiple access, uh, avenues of access to the press kit as well. Yeah. Put it on your website, put it, put a link to it in your pinned tweet, um, or your bio for like social, for some social media, like, you know, anything that, you know, might, might generate eyes, like, you know, eyes might, people might go there to look for something. Also a good way to promote the, you know, we all know that the algorithm chokes things sometimes in social media. Like if you put links in there in, in the wrong way, Twitter will choke it out because they don't want you putting links there because they assume that's advertising and they want you to pay for ads. So you can put up a big vertical image that plays well on mobile. And in that mobile image, it tells them that they can go to the pinned tweet mm-hmm. to, to, to link and download the press kit. And then you don't have to put the link in the email or in the tweet. And the tweet might actually circulate because the you know a lot of times a link will choke a tweet. For research too, it's, you can easily just like, I just did it for fun to see right now what came up. If you Google TTRPG press kit, there's a mix on just like the first page of Google results about either somebody's press kit for their TTRPG. And then you can also examine their SEO to see why they ended up on the first page of uh, the Google search results. (laughs) But also some people have made templates for press kits that you can find pretty easily um, so like resources for you that are blank or that have like details on like what you should include or what you could include, just kind of getting ideas for what works. But of course, like I would, I would really think about the genre that you are like going for, like what, what your genre of game is and focus it that way. It might not matter for, for some types of games as much to talk about all the cool, quirky mechanics versus focusing on your setting. I think I, I think it was Sebastian you mentioned like the like the focus, like the cool things about the the game and put those in yeah. the press kit. Yeah, just those. your like your game selling points. So I mean if you're writing a setting book, then of course you want what's unique about your setting. But right. if you're writing an original kind of indie game with a system that you've made, like tell me what's unique about the system and what it allows us to do like the players to do. Like so just whatever whatever the selling points are of your game, like those need to go in there. So what should a publisher expect? Like, what should a designer expect after they've sent out, they've made their press kit, they've sent it out to people. What should they expect to happen next? 
Uh, depending on the timeline. And I mean, I know that for, for me as a freelancer, I think that if I received a press kit, I probably would be like, well, um, need to pitch this somewhere. And um, if it's successful, then I probably would get a timeline back from, like I get a deadline from uh, the outlet and they'd be like, this sounds great. Like, can you have it done by um, done by this date? And I'm probably like, yes. And so then I'll go back to the like the designer and be like, okay, yeah, so this is the deadline. So we need to do an interview before this date. Um, can you do this? And uh, from there, um, you know, you do the interview and um, usually um, it's like either I will kind of draft the article and then have a couple of follow-up questions that I realized that um, I would like to add to it. So maybe there may be a bit of back and forth there, but if not, then um, it's probably however long later that I'll be like, hey, the article came out, feel free to share, whatever. Um, thank you for talking to me kind of thing. Yeah. What about like preparing yourself for an interview like that? What, what I have had um, people reach out for two types of interviews, either like a kind of in person or like via a Zoom or a Discord chat. And then I've also had, which is is interesting in a in its own way, the the email questions, answer these email questions kind of survey yeah. thing. I generally I personally, if I, if I'm a journalist, I try to avoid doing email interviews yeah. unless it is um, for reasons of access or scheduling. So I would prefer to do like I've done a text like a real time text interview, um, and that's been and that's been good. And but I but usually I do prefer to communicate with someone in real time if at all possible. But um, the advantage to email questions is that you can you have time to think about your answer and, and you can put it you can, you can phrase it how you want and there's no kind of ambiguity to what you're saying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think the yeah. disadvantage is if you're a, yeah, not a dis- great writer. <laughs> yeah, the disadvantage is that um, the person can't like the journalist can't ask you follow up questions if you bring up a really interesting point they can't ask follow up questions um, immediately. So that will it kind of. I mean, for me, at least it does extend the writing time, although it is it is nice not to have to transcribe everything because um, transcription as a journalist is a whole thing. So, (laughs) yeah, it's a whole ordeal. And there's there's a potential in um, face to face, like real time voice interviewing, too, of you as the designer being able to more, you know, more easily and better communicate your passion for the thing and your enthusiasm and like, you know, like the you can, you can send the interviewer away with a, with a, like a, a better warm fuzzy of like, Oh, this person really loves this thing. And they created, and they're really excited about it. And you know, and, and excitement is contagious. It's, it's infectious. You know, you can, you can help to get the, the interviewer even more interested if they were, you know, maybe wavering a little bit and yeah. uh, you know, and that, and that might, you know, that that can help them write their, um, their piece as well, where they can talk about, you know, I chatted with so-and-so and they, you know, and they can even remark about how, like, what it was like to talk to you and how they were, you were clearly very enthused and, you know, whatever, yeah, whatever, whatever other qualities you're, whatever other qualities you're bringing across. And that puts the human element on it too, which also, you know, sells anything better than just here's the list of reasons why. Yeah. What about like pitfalls and uh, things to a- avoid doing when you're setting up your press kit? We talked about like the things you should include, but. Is there anything that would maybe tank your chances of getting media coverage? Uh, honestly, if your press kit is extremely long and not all the information is relevant, 
ideally you'd have just like the sheet that that has the basic information about the game as well as like the sheet that is the new story and then just kind of have that in a folder with the assets and that really should be it i you know do not send the i mean if you're confident then i guess you can send the whole game but like usually i will not read the game before i've read the press kit i mean i will if i like the press kit then i might look through the game but like people only have so much time and they're not necessarily being paid to read the game so like really the press kit should be like the the thing to get their attention in terms of things to avoid i mean make sure it like don't make typos if you can help it every every writer and every editor knows that they happen sometimes but if you are sending a press kit i do expect it to be coherent and you know kind of polished so that's good also kind of making sure that um, you'll communicate, like make sure that it's unambiguous and that you're able to communicate your point. I don't know if that's necessarily helpful advice, but I don't know, I've received some very strange things and I'm just like, I actually do not know what point you're trying to make here, but thank <laughs> you for this. Um, <laughs> so yeah, so kind of keep keep it succinct, keep it kind of punchy, just interesting. What about like follow-up? Do you expect, like how would, how do you handle these designers following up after they've sp- sent a press kit to you? How do you feel about those follow-ups? Like, hey, did you get this? Like, how does um, that feel on the other I side? I would prefer it if people didn't. I understand the I kind of impulse to the, the impulse to do it. And um, it's like, you know, hey, not sure if you saw this. I would really love it, blah, blah, blah. Like, I mean, I appreciate the enthusiasm, but um, if you don't hear from someone, then like, I mean, unless you kind of have that personal relationship with them and you've kind of established that you have that kind of communication style, then it's probably better not to because it it means that like you kind of put them in the position whereby they have to be like, oh yeah, sorry, couldn't fit it in this time, but like, I appreciate mm-hmm. it. And then like, like the journalist may or may not feel kind of bad for having to do that. And it's just really awkward. So I think that um, if you can kind of handle rejection, then like, that's also, that's a useful skill. Although like, and I do think that it does kind of, it does suck like to not have any kind of feedback on it whatsoever and to just not get any acknowledgement. Like it, it really does. But also, you know, they can't respond to everybody who sends in something. I was going to say that's that's exactly how I felt every time I received like, hey, here's what we're doing for here's our press release. And then I get a follow up like, why didn't you run a story about this? Well, it wasn't a good. Now I have to tell you that it's not to tell you. you. Yeah. (laughs) And usually I like if I respond at all, it's usually like, hey, um, just wasn't able to do it. And like, you don't necessarily have to elaborate because like, I don't know, that's a whole other thing. And uh, that's technically, I mean, this is going to sound a bit harsh, but like technically that's not really part of your job. So yeah. I imagine that if you have developed any sort of a personal relationship and, and by personal, I also mean just like a friendly relationship via Twitter or something like that. If you're sending something to somebody, they know you like, you've told them you're going to, they've responded, I'm interested. Like, you know that they want to definitely take a look at it. Then maybe you're, you know, send it. And then if you don't hear anything at all for a week, just ping them and say, hey, you know, you said you were interested in this. I'm just double checking to make sure that it got through to you, that it didn't dump into a spam folder or something like that. And then that's it. Don't don't bug them yeah. after like a second yeah, time. And that's absolutely but, fine. But like, yeah, you know, if they, they may very well have gotten busy, you don't know what's going on in their personal life. Like, who knows what's happened? But it's... uh you know, and a follow up. If there if there is a follow up, it's not the next day. 
you, you can't expect oh, yeah, anybody. Give them, like give them, oh, give yeah. them a week. Give, give, them, give them a week. Give them 10 days. Like, yeah, people, people are busy. I would especially say, don't do the thing that I've had happen to me before where someone says, I saw you post this. Why didn't you respond to my, oh. it's so, yeah, that is ugh, the that's, worst. That's honestly very, I mean, that's, I mean, it's not invasive if they, if you're posting publicly, but it does come across, it does, it does come across as um, quite confrontational and that's yeah. not, maybe not necessarily the vibe you want to give. Yeah, that's, that's a good rule for any communication really that you're doing don't yeah make it don't get entitled and sound like you like i expect you to take the time if you if, you, if you're online and i can tell you've tweeted a couple times in the last half hour then you better be responding to my email <laughs> don't don't go after somebody about that because quite frankly that's not going to win you any points no it's no, it it's isn't. probably it's probably not going to get them to respond yeah. and also- and and it's going to sour your relationship with them and if you're foolish enough to do it publicly it's going to sour your relationship with other people yeah the people are going to see that and be like wow okay this person is kind of acting up online and mm, like yeah <laughs> you don't want to be a main character yeah. on Twitter. <laughs> and even if you do it privately it's probably going to make its way to other people in that related yeah. profession as well like it's going to make it to other people who write for that outlet or who work at that news source. We talk about it with RPG designers, you know, like if you, as a, as a freelancer, if you like really bone a job and drop the ball and don't communicate and whatnot, that, that information makes its way around to other designers. The same thing's going to happen with press people. There's, there's people who do previews and they, they know each other. Yeah. They chat, they chat with each other. I mean, I just think it's a matter of basic courtesy, like just, just be polite, Um, like do a follow-up if you think it's appropriate. Like this is a bit more nebulous and not like concrete advice, but um, you know, do a follow-up if you think it's appropriate. If not, then kind of uh, take the loss, move on to your next thing. You're not going to, you're not going to win them all. You can't win them all. Yeah. They're not all going to, not everybody's going to cover. You can send out 20 press kits and if you get two, that's pretty good. Honestly, any coverage at all is great. Like, I love that kind of thing. Especially when you are basically asking to get this press coverage for free for yourself. Even if they're getting paid by their organization or their publishing or their ad revenue, you're still asking for something for free on your behalf. Yeah, unless and you it are can buying be, sponsored yeah. content. Yeah, and the challenge can be, um, like, unless you know that, um, like, I mean, unless you're confident that, like, they will run the story um, and kind of have it, like, and I like in my experience, journalists do tend to know when they're being marketed to and when the, the designer kind of wants free advertising as right. opposed to like a good um, news story pitch. So there, there is that also. And like some journalists just do not want to do like free advertising mm-hmm. because that is not their job. So kind of, you know, if it's if it's newsworthy for whatever reason, then like that's kind of the angle you need to take. Yes. Yeah. It, it, you can find you know the game. You design the game. You know the game well enough. You can probably find a pitch. You know, find an angle. What they call in the in the journalism field an angle. What's the angle on the story? What's what's interesting about this? Why should I do a story about this? Um, why should I cover this? Why should I review it? Um, whatever the case may be, like just just giving a blah of what the game is about maybe doesn't sell it. Maybe like that first sentence up front. Tell the story of what. Well, what makes where's what? T- tell them what the story is, what you think the story is, and they might find a different story. You never know, but at least you give them a, a base point, like something that they can go, "Oh, that okay, that is maybe that is interesting. Let's explore that." 
Well, this has been an informative conversation. I feel I I feel bad having never made a press like a press release or a press kit for my games. It's just not. I'm very bad at marketing, and I know the things that I should do, and then I don't do them because it's it's a lot of work. It is a lot of work, and very work averse. Yeah, honestly, that is like that is entirely fair in my opinion. Like you've already worked to design the game, and you've already done a lot of things, and it just depends on. whether whether you think it would be worth it to invest that time and labor into into the press kit and like not everybody will and that's okay yeah I mean you don't you know necessarily have to feel bad about it because I think that doing less work for more money is always good well Sebastian thank you for coming back on and, and talking with us about this especially bringing your expertise to our podcast thank you for having me anytime where can we find your stuff yeah, so you can find me on Twitter at Sebastian UA, so just Sebastian NYUE, all one word. That has links to my DMs Guild page where I publish my 5e supplements and my itch page um, where I publish my independent games. And right now I am uh, co hosting a game jam for like to support um, designers of color. It's a kind of it's a game jam where you can hack people's games and make a variant on it um, for yourself. That runs, that's called the Hue Shift Jam, and that is running until July 31st. So you still have plenty of time if you feel inspired enough to create a game for it. I would love to see that. Awesome. Excellent. You can find me on Twitter at, at Jaska. You can also find my games at wannabegames.com and on Drive Through RPG and Itch. And uh, my website is nerdburgergames.com. You can find me at nerdburgercraig on Twitter. Games are also at DriveThruRPG. Starting in June, people are going to start seeing a fair amount of progress for Capers Cyber through the Patreon. Um, You can help get artwork and concepting and everything underway and help me make the eventual crowdfunding um, a little less painful by uh, supporting Nerdburger Games there, patreon.com slash nerdburgercraig. You're going to see all sorts of really cool um, cyber-powered, super-powered criminals battling the megacorps uh, uh, artwork and rule stuff. It's going to be fun. Uh, thanks again, Sebastian, for being on. Thank you. Thank you so much. This is fun. <laughs> it, thank you. Uh, thank you, Steph Sachs for our opening and closing theme, Avel, which was licensed under Creative Commons. And thank you all for listening. And we'll see you back here next time. Bye. Bye.